Welcome to On Scene First. I'm your host, Tracy Eldridge. With over 25 years in public safety, I am wicked excited and honored to bring you entertaining, educational, and empowering conversations with public safety difference makers who are harnessing the power of out-of-the-box thinking with the latest and greatest must-have technology tools and mental health resources to save lives on both sides of the call. Before we get started, a special thank you to our premier sponsor, Rapid SOS. As a trusted public safety data partner and the creators of the world's first emergency response data platform, RapidSOS is sharing critical data with first responders like myself to get us the information we need to save lives and property. To learn how you can become RapidSOS ready and better protect the ones you love, visit RapidSOS.com and tell them Tracy sent you. Now, on with the show. Please help me welcome my dear friend, colleague, and 911 brother, Jeremy DeMar. Jeremy is the executive director of the Mountain Valley Emergency Communication Center in New Jersey, and he is a social media fixture in the 911 space, as well as an influential contributor to public safety as a whole. And he is a huge supporter of new technology and servant style leadership. Welcome, Jeremy. I am obviously wicked excited to have you here. Um, it was only a matter of time before you landed on my podcast. Like that's a given. How are you these days? What's what's going on? I am wonderful. And uh, much like some of your other guests, when they start, I wanted to thank you for inviting me on. I've been waiting for you to uh, create this forum. And we've all, many of us have been watching uh, out here to, to kind of see what amazing things you're going to be doing. And you've already Aww. had a lot of key folks on, which uh, the, the podcast have been great. And I've been able to listen to a lot of those. And I think, frankly, with what's going on in the world right now, this is kind of the this is the new forum. So you're, you're definitely in a medium right now that, that works for everybody. And I'm, I'm super excited for you. I know there's a lot of people that are. Oh, thank you so much. I mean, seriously, like somebody actually gave me back a microphone. Like I can't even tell you how excited I am. So yes, the fact that I get to talk. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> I just think you have one permanently attached to you got that voice out there, but. Yep. Yep. You are 100%. Because um, I remember, I don't, I don't know why this story just popped into my head, but it's totally appropriate. So when I was a kid, my dad used to have an office in Boston and it closed. When it closed, they brought all kinds of stuff to our house and it was in the basement. And it was like that big metal avocado green desk with the phone that had all the buttons on it, you know, the big red hold button and classic, click, classic, click and classic seventies looking stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I just remember being down there and I was, and then they had this like intercom thing and, and I had it all set up as an office and I was like shuffling around papers and answering the phone and pretending like I was this really important person. And then there was this microphone thing and I used to talk on it all the time and I'd pretend that I had a radio show. <laughs> and I'm like, you don't have to pretend anymore. You need to be careful what you wish for. Cause it just might come through and, and, you know, you'll be on, you'll be on satellite radio before we know it. I am so excited. So yeah. So thank you so much for joining me. You know, I love our conversations. I'm pretty sure we have conversations back and forth when you're driving we, back and forth to your, to your job. And we do, and home. we do a lot, a lot of conversations. Yeah. So very excited. So I don't even know where to begin with you. There's just so much to unpack here. But I think the first thing I want to talk to you about is where you are right now. So 
tell us a little bit, because as most people know you, um, a lot of people don't know kind of your background in public safety. So can you just let us know how you landed here? I know a lot of people land in, in 911 by accident because they're trying to do something else. Tell us a little bit about your history and how you reached 911 and kind of, you know, where your career started and, and how you got to where you are right now. Well, um, you know, I think much like a lot of folks that are in this line of work, I started out fully expecting that I was uh, going to get into the career fire service. Fast forward, well, rewinding back 31 years to kind of how this whole thing started, I got into the fire explorers with the fire department uh, up in upstate New York, where I was, uh, West Webster Fire. I think from that point, I remember at the time I was working at the movie theater, which was across the street. And I would remember every time I'd see a police car go by or a, a fire truck go by, I mean, that natural instinct of, I wonder where they're going. I wonder what they're doing. So I think I think my getting into the explorer post at that point was- You were nosy? Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> we're just talking to my wife a few minutes ago. I'm sure she would agree, but- um, out of sheer curiosity, you know, I'm like, hey, you know, I want to I want to be first on the scene. I want to know what's going on. So I got on the Explorer post. I got You know, I, I went through that for a few years. And then, of course, I became a, a firefighter with uh, Wes Webster, got my emergency medical technician certification. I did that for a long time. Um, I started going to school to earn my fire science degree. But at the time, I was also working in a retail establishment. And I had an opportunity to move up within retail. So I, I stopped going to school and I kind of, the path kind of jockeyed a little bit. It went a different direction, but, and it was around, uh, believe it or not, it was right before 9-11, or I guess I would say as a result of 9-11, I wasn't in public safety at the time, but after 9-11, and I know a lot of people, I, I don't want to sound like I'm just saying this because I know this comes out for a lot of people, but I really kind of felt like after that occurred, that was where I was supposed to be. Yeah. And of course, after 9-11, I, you know, I was running a small business prior to that. Uh, nobody wanted to spend any money anymore. But we ended up closing, like, I won't forget the date, October 19th, 2001. My partners and I decided to close the company. And at that point, I got back in. I joined a different fire department. I was living in a different area. So I joined Egypt Fire, which is also in Monroe County up in Rochester. I got back into it there, was doing the EMT thing again. But I was also working career EMS at the time. Anybody that's worked in EMS, and I think you have a background in EMS, I we talked about that. Nobody gets into EMS for the money. No. Uh -huh. um, you know, you, you do it for the passion, you do it for the love of the job. And uh, so at that point, I decided with a growing family, I said, you know, uh, I love EMS, but it's not enough to support my family. I'm going to take the dispatch exam for the emergency communications department up in Rochester, New York. So that was probably 2000, early 2002. Fast forwarding again, February of 03, uh, after getting appointed, that was that was my first month on the job with, uh, with 911. And that's kind of where things kind of kicked off for me on the emergency communication side. For the first two to three years at ECD, I was I was absolutely still laser focused on becoming a firefighter. But as time went on and I saw the opportunity for career growth within that discipline, I said, you know what, maybe there's, maybe there's something else here. And the great thing about ECD was, unlike so many other centers across the country where once you get in, it, um, you know, you can dispatch, but maybe there's not as many rooms for uh, areas for growth, there was a ton of opportunity, you know, dispatcher two, shift supervisor, operations manager, that there, there was, there was nice. clear in that progression. So I uh, was a, a police dispatcher for the first five years, I think it was a dispatcher two, which is police fire EMS for another three or four, got promoted to a shift supervisor, did that for another five, four, five, five, six years. And in the midst of that, I went back, I, I finished my associate's degree, which I told you I left school. 
I went yeah. back, finished my fire science degree. The minute I was done with that, the city of Rochester had an awesome program. I hope they still have it for their folks, a tuition reimbursement. So I took full advantage of that. I, I went right into my undergraduate work in emergency management. It took me seven years, but I got my, uh, my bachelor's degree done. And the minute I was done with that, I, I said, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm feeling real good about this right now. I'm gonna jump into this other program uh, with Center for Homeland Defense and Security Naval Postgraduate School. They have an, an incredible uh, Homeland Security program. I said, you know what? I know it's tough to get into. I'm gonna apply. If I get in, wonderful. If I don't, you know, I, I didn't wanna say I hadn't applied. Yep, absolutely. So I put in for that and um, I don't know, three, four months later, I got a phone call from, from Heather Isferan and, and we're very close friends now as, as she becomes with everybody that's in this program. And uh, I, th I think the question she asked me was something to the effect of, are you planning on staying in this business, in this industry for a while? <laughs> or, or at least for, I, I think it was like, there was a timeline associated with it, maybe a year or two years. And I said, okay. And, uh, and again, Heather, I'm, if you're listening to this, I'm paraphrasing what you asked me, but uh, <laughs> uh, she then said, well, I, I'd like to congratulate you. You've been accepted into the master's program. And I was, I ran wow. and told Heather and I was just like, I was, I was blown away. Um, so super excited. And I'm just curious, was her, was her next question, where do we have to move to? Cause I'm yeah. thinking that's a question that your wife asks my, my, often. My, my Heather, at the, no, my Heather at the time, I was still very much in Rochester. And um, I think part of the, part of the reason they asked that question before you get into the program is they need to make sure that you're not going to go off and start selling cars or something. I mean, right. this is, it's a federally funded program, which by the way, I highly, highly, highly recommend. I'm happy to talk to anybody about it. Um, it, it's, it really truly was a life-changing experience for me, but, but I got into that program. And then shortly after I graduated in March, 2017, I said, you know what? I, I really feel like I want to take things to the next level. I, I, I wanted to run a center. Uh, yeah. I had, I had a management background and I said, you know what? Um, fresh out of grad school, I've got six or seven years as a supervisor in a high volume center. It's time to throw the line in the water and, and see what happens. And, uh, I think I had two or three different uh, places want to interview me and the the first pro the first place that called me back after I did that was Springfield Massachusetts and uh, so I went down and had the interview and things went great and I don't know like a month later or not even a month later maybe a week later they offered me the position and I was like here we go and uh, and I was very excited because you were coming to my hood yeah, you, well, you were coming to Massachusetts well, it's funny because you and I, you know, we talked being part of the Atlantic chapter and everything. You and I had known each other for years anyways, but it was it was weird coming to your stomping ground. So I, I know that you and well, I. Well, and I, th I think what was interesting, too, is is I think right about the time you're coming into Massachusetts communication, I was migrating yeah. out to go take my job at Rapid SOS. So yeah. I, you know, I didn't get to spend as much time with you. Um, so you spent a little bit of time at at in Springfield. About and two, then yeah, just, just shy of two and a half years. OK, and then you're not there anymore. Where are you now? Yeah, so January of this year, of all years to pick to make a make a move. Right, <laughs> nobody, right. Nobody knew about COVID at that point. It was nobody really knew what that word was all about. But um, yeah, I think it was. Uh, it might have been December of twenty nineteen or January twenty twenty uh, when I came down. But yeah, January, no, April. I'm getting my dates confused. I, think I don't was, even know what month it is. So there's I, that. I, know. I, I think the fact that all of us can keep some degree of a level head at this point is, is a great thing. But I think it was January I applied. I saw that opportunity. So once again, I kind of I threw the line in the water. There were two other opportunities that I interviewed for out west and this one opportunity in New Jersey. 
And uh, it was with a center that I really, I really hadn't even heard about because obviously anybody that's going into a director or a senior level management position, you do a lot of research and work on it. And uh, our group, as you know, the 911 community, I've, I've heard that phrase before, it, you know, our community is about 10,000 feet wide, but it's about two inches deep. Yep. So it's the same names coming up all the time. So I did a bunch of research on the area, you know, why is, why is the, the current person leaving or where are they going? Or are they taking a position somewhere else? I really could not find a, a bad thing or a negative thing out there anywhere. Uh, so that was, you know, that's my first thing and uh, went down, had the first interview and, and that went well, came back home. Uh, want to say it was like uh, maybe a week later or something. They called me back, said, we'd like to have you come down for a second one. I said, okay. So I went down and uh, shortly thereafter, they, you know, we were able to work things out. They extended an offer and and here I am in, in New Jersey, uh, Northern New Jersey, about 25 minutes from Manhattan and in the town of uh, New Providence. And our center serves uh, the borough of New Providence, the city of Summit and the township of Milburn. So three different jurisdictions in Northern Jersey. That's awesome. So, and if anybody knows you, they know that you're very active on social media. So I highly recommend you going to find Jeremy. He's, um, you, you share so much valuable stuff. I mean, you know, you share my stuff, but nonetheless, um, <laughs> I, you, knew there was an, I knew there was an agenda here somewhere. <laughs> no, you, you share so much stuff. And, and one of the other things, so I, I'm going to assume things are going great from, from an outsider yes. looking in, um, I, I know that you're doing a lot of really proactive changes, but I also know you have the ability to do them in a positive way. Like you're not just coming in and, and making all of these crazy changes, but your folks seem to be very receptive to all of your shenanigans. And what I mean by that is you are not the type of leader that is just going to sit there and, and keep things status quo. Right. Like, can you give me a couple of examples of some things that you changed when you first got in there that your folks were really receptive to? Yeah. So, you know, leadership 101, you know, what's the first thing you always hear? You, the first 90 days, you don't make any changes. I, right. I, I, would, I would argue in the situation that we're in right now with COVID, uh, <laughs> that really probably should be more like six months yep. uh, because there's so many things going on right now. But but really, the first thing that I did when I arrived in New Jersey uh, and, and my deputy director, Keely Heyman, who she's just incredible. I can't I can't say enough about her. Uh, she she was the interim director prior to my arrival. And she, you know, obviously she had her hands full with just being an interim director, but then this COVID thing came up. So her and I in, in the uh, probably a month or, or so, at least several weeks before I arrived, we were talking on the phone uh, left and right. So she was kind of giving me kind of a, you know, a bird's eye view of what was going on. So I didn't walk in there blindly. I, I at least had some kind of an idea what was going on. And her and I were already collaborating even before I was on the payroll, which uh, for, for anybody that's considering moving into this level of leadership, and I, I don't care if you want to be a, a manager at a Taco Bell or a manager, you know, a car dealer, whatever. If you're going to move into a senior level management opportunity, you really need to do a little bit of advanced work with some of your senior leadership team members before you arrive. Yes. If, for no, if for no other reason than just to make sure that you've got some kind of a foundational understanding of what's going on in the center. What's the low hanging fruit? What's the stuff that needs to be immediately dealt with? So, so we did that. Her and I worked on that extensively. So when I got down there, again, I, I had that foundation. Well, but and I, you're also you're also building a relationship yeah. with those folks that you're going to work with. So they get to know you yep. before you step foot in that position, because I can assume it may have 
been an interesting dynamic where Keely was acting as the interim. And then yep. now here you come, you're here. Um, it sounds like you did things right, where you built, you started to build that foundation and the relationship before you got there. So that's really cool. You just, it's, it's something that you have to do. Plus I bought all of my staff pizza before I even knew them. So that's, well, you, there you go. You well, are the best boss com, ever. You know, I works in a comm center. So, you know, <laughs> bring they, them food. The guy's not even here yet. And he's buying us lunch. So I yeah, mean, throw it, chocolate at him. You're good. Yeah, you know, I, well, and, and, and what, what's that age old saying we always hear, you know, don't forget where you came from. I mean, I remember how, how nice it was, you know, certainly up in Rochester when, uh, you know, my boss at the time, John, or, or the ops managers, you know, would buy lunch for us or, or surprise us with things. And I remember how good that made us feel. Yeah. And, you know, that's, I think that's the one thing when you get to this level, you, you have to obviously pay attention to the high level stuff that you've been tasked with dealing with, but you can't forget how important those personal, the, the personal interaction is with your people. Yeah. I, and, and as you know, obviously I have, you will be the first guest as a guest on the podcast that that is is mine now at this point and I'm I'm really excited about that to you know provide the things that I'm going to be doing with on scene first and one of them is really focused on leadership right. and people like people 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 all day long because in my experience um, I have had some pretty difficult folks do a ton of damage to me uh, based on poor leadership. So, you know, I'm not out here to bash those folks, but just like you, um, I want to get that, get the word out there like, hey, let's get back to focusing on the people, right. not the tasks, not the policies, not the discipline, not the, you know, the task and result stuff, but Get back to the foundation of people, because I think when we focus on our people and we make them feel like they're appreciated and that their, you know, that their time and their effort is worth something, I think that all the other stuff will fall into place. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And, and to the point I made earlier about, you know, when I joined 911 and I w wanted to be a career firefighter, we know that today there's still a lot of people that join uh, you know, the, the emergency communications community wanting, wanting to be a cop or wanting to be a firefighter, whatever it happens to be. We're, we're you know, as, as leadership in this space, we're not blind to that. We know that that's still going on. Right. Uh, but but I, I, I turn that into a positive note. And, and this is what I did. And I think back to, uh, you know, and I won't mention any names, but, but if, if those folks are listening to this, they'll know who I'm talking about. I, when I was a director in Springfield, um, one of the folks that we had working for us wanted to become, you know, she did a lot of traveling and stuff. She wanted to become a flight attendant uh, with, with an airline. And, and she came, I remember she came in the office when I was talking with my operations manager and she was kind of, you know, she was kind of skittish and I'm like, what's wrong? She goes, well, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you my two weeks. I said, Oh, really? You know, where are you going? And she goes, well, you know, I'm going to do the flight. Now she had talked about wanting to be a flight attendant. I said, well, what's, you know, why? She goes, well, I was, I was afraid you'd be mad. I'm like, I'm not, uh. I couldn't, I could not be happier. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm sad that you're leaving us, right. but, I'm, but I'm happy that you're doing something that you truly want to do. And if you'd have asked me that question, you know, if that same scenario had played out years prior, you know, maybe I would have been that, that jerk that just said, oh, I can't believe you're, you know, but, but, but the longer you're in this business, the more you realize that you have to be happy and what you're doing and you want your people to be happy. So how did I turn, how do I turn that into a positive? 
uh, you know, we have a, we have another person who literally just yesterday, um, he was keeping us in the loop with with this this opportunity that he had to go join a fire department. He he got the offer. He got the nod to come be a firefighter. And, you know, he came in and now the great thing was he, he kept us in the loop. And so Keely and I weren't blindsided. We were able to kind of prepare for this a little bit. But I told him, I said, I'm, I'm completely and thoroughly happy for you. I said, whatever I can do to help out. And even the people that I, I've got another person that started with us that wants to be a cop and he's a younger guy. Uh, so I, I said, I said, the great thing about this job is you're going to have a great understanding of, of the entire public safety spectrum before you go to make that jump. I said, but the, the other great thing is Keely and I are, are advocates for you guys. If there's anything that we can do to try to help you get to where you want to be, I want to do that for you. I want to be that person. If it's writing a letter of reference or, or sitting down with you and talk about the interview process, because the more interest that you show in your people and that side of things, even if you're encouraging them to go somewhere else, it, it just shows them that, that it's not just about you. It's about, it's about the whole thing. It's about the whole picture. Yeah. And, and so I, 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 I remember when I was talking to my boss, Michelle at rapid SOS and, you know, and, and again, there, there's similar things, right? It may not be a communication center, but nonetheless, what good leadership does is they empower their folks to be their best self every right. single day. Right. So when I had the conversation with Michelle, I said, you know, branching out on my own and kind of building my own legacy versus doing it for other people, which I have done, you know, very heartfelt my whole entire life is I really want the opportunity to do this. And I think it's the right time to do it. She could have very easily been like, you want to leave and just cut me off. Right. No, she supported me. She yep. encouraged me. She suggested that Rapid SOS be the premier sponsor of my podcast. How does that happen, right? So yeah. here I am leaving a job that I loved, which people think I'm crazy for in the middle of a pandemic, but it was the right time and I had the right support to do that. And guess what? It's gonna benefit both of us in the end, right? So one of the things that you said that I wanna, that I wanna really touch on Go back in the statement that you just said is, is a few years before that, you may have dealt with that situation different. You may have been angry or what did you mean by that? I think you have to, you have to experience certain things in your professional life in order to truly understand what the impact of those situations is. And you have to be in environments that are less than positive or you have to be in environments that aren't necessarily conducive to growth and being progressive and, and understanding. And um, I, I think the longer that you're in a situation like that, the more it, it, it gets kind of built up in your head, it gets built up in your body, it gets built up in the way that you're doing things. And before too long, that negativity, you know, you start to kind of comes out of your pores. I mean, it starts to become who you are. And it's, it's not necessarily something that you have any control over. Right. In fact, a lot of times you, you probably don't even realize it's happening. And, you know, unfortunately for a lot of people, they don't realize it's happening till it's too late. You've, you've said something that you, you shouldn't have said or, or whatever it happens to be. So I, I guess my point with that was if, if, if being in that leadership role, somebody came in and said that to me, like, I'm leaving and doing that, I, I, you know, maybe I would have been offended, like, oh, well, this is personal. You, you're just doing this because you don't like me or you're doing this because you don't like this place or whatever it happens to be. When in fact, it's, it's really more about what's the lifelong ambition of that person? What's the lifelong right. The dream of that person. So I think I think that's the thing. When, when you're in a scenario or a setting that's less less than optimal for progress and moving up and upward growth, 
um, and you're not you're not getting that level of leadership or the support that you'd like, that that has an impact. And <laughs> and that's I think that's why I've kind of changed things a little bit because with, with each with each different situation that you're in professionally, you, you absolutely want to learn from the things that didn't go well, but you have to make a conscious effort at this level to make sure that that you're not falling back into some of those old practices and those old habits, because when you've been doing things as long as you've been doing them, and you know what I'm talking about. I do. You know, it, it gets ingrained in you. And, and unfortunately, despite your best efforts, it, you may come off as very negative or, or, very, or have a tremendous degree of misunderstanding about somebody when, when really you should be congratulating them and trying to lift them up. And that's, you know, that's really what I try to do now. And, you know, you mentioned my social media earlier. I mean, I love seeing people, not just in our profession, but in all walks of life. I love to see people doing well. Yep. And, and anytime I have an opportunity on social media to say, you know, great job, nice work, keep it up. Because just, just that little thing, just those little words, even saying something small like that, I mean, you wouldn't think that the impact would be that huge, but it's just somebody, just coming out after somebody has a call like that and saying, hey, you know what, excellent job. Yep. Something small like that is all it takes to lift a lot of people up. And I just, I really, I remember when I had to try a lot harder to remember to do that. I'm happier now because now it's kind of like old hat for me, which tells me that I'm getting some of the bad things out. And, and the goods in and and that's the part that I'm really trying to push to everybody. And I think that's a really valuable lesson is, I, I mean, when I was at my 911 center, I was a good boss. Like I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm sure I'm gonna have some of my folks on the podcast cause they think it's important, right? And, and there were things that I was really, really good at. And then there were some things that I was not good at. And it wasn't until I got to the end where I just was not myself. I wasn't positive. I wasn't encouraging. I was nitpicking, um, but that's what was happening to me from upper level management. And it's almost like this behavior became, you know, it was almost like an abusive relationship where, you know, it's coming down from the top for me and I'm just carrying it down to the folks that were under me. And if, you know, if they're listening, which I know some of them do, they know that I am truly sorry for who I became the last year of, of my tenure there, because I was not the person who I wanted to be. And oh. that was people that had the ability to do that to me. And that's why I'm so adamant about getting more training out that has to do with specifically leadership and people and their personalities for, for that purpose. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. And, and that's really important stuff. The other place I see you really um, making strides in, obviously, is is technology. So a lot of times on my podcast, we it, it it almost ends up like a twofold conversation. It's about the people thing, but then it's also about new technology. And you are one of those thought leaders where you're like, "Yep, I, I'm going to hear what you have to say, and if I like it." we're going to move forward with this. If I have concerns, I'm basically going to tell you how to fix it. And then I probably will move forward with it. Um, but on my last episode with uh, Fletch, we talked about a technology uh, that is called What Three Words. And I know that What Three Words is coming into the 911 space, the public safety space. It, it has been um, pretty prominent in other countries but a lot of folks are really confused about how the technology works. So Fletch and I 
touched that tip of the iceberg on the previous episode. So if you didn't hear that, go back and listen. Um, but he had mentioned to me that you guys had implemented it. So I just want to pick your brain a little bit and share with the folks from the director's position. So where we, where did you first hear about what three words? And in your own words, can you kind of describe what, what three words is and what they're doing? Sure. Uh, so I think the first time I heard about that, uh, the, uh, Ashley, I apologize because I, I assume you're going to be listening to this, but uh, <laughs> I forgot exactly what your title was, but Ashley's awesome. Um, she's kind of the point person here in the States for uh, what three words, which is a, a UK based company. She had reached out to me via email. I don't know, maybe, maybe a month, two months ago. And, you know, like many other directors, we get lots and lots of email. So, um, it, I'm sure I probably filed it at some point. So, you know, I'll take a look at it later. Um, it actually wasn't until I saw on CBS a few weeks back, CBS Sunday morning, I think it was, they, they did a little feature on what three words. And my wife, Heather was sitting there with me and I was like, Oh, I said, I said, someone reached out to me from, from there about that. And I, I gotta, I gotta call them back. So it's funny. I, I went back and I, um, Ashley, I did keep your email, but I couldn't find the email. So <laughs> I went through, I'm like, where did that email go? So I ended up going to the What Three Words website and I just submitted a generic, you know, hey, can you give me a call? And fortunately, Ashley reached out to me. I said, was it you that sent me the, the, the email? She goes, yeah. I'm like, okay. I said, well, <laughs> sorry, I lost your email, but or I misfiled it. But at any rate, we started talking about it. And I, I think one of the things that you run into when you're at this level is, you know, and, and probably much in the same way Rapid SOS is. I mean, there's probably still some folks out there that don't understand that, that not only is the platform free to public safety providers, but it's very, very easy to implement. And it, oh, and they, it, there, there is. I can, I can assure you that there is. Yep. And, and you've seen me put posts up about Rapid sometimes, and I'm like, how are you not using this? But let's, <laughs> let's not go that route. So, so we're already, you know, I, every, I think most people know we're already a Rapid SOS jurisdiction view user, but um, this was the same thing. So when you, when you start, hearing about these new technologies, the first thing that you always do as a director is you're listening for the catch. You want right. to know what, where, why aren't others using this? Why is nobody doing this? Why, you know, whatever. So we started asking and Ashley's explaining all this. And I had, you know, my deputy Keely on there with me and we're looking at this and we're kind of looking at each other like, this is, this is just awesome stuff. And we're looking and I'm looking, I'm like, and at one point, now I was relatively certain that there was no cost associated with the platform that she was talking to us about. And so I got to the very end of this and I said, I just want to confirm no cost. She goes, no, not to, not to public safety providers and not to the user. I said, and why is nobody else doing this? And she said, you know, <laughs> I'm like, um, I, I'm in, sign me so off. So I'll, 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 I'll allude to that a little bit. Um, so as you mentioned, yes, you guys use the, the rapid SOS portal and the jurisdiction view, which I will always advocate for because it it's amazing. Right. Yep. Um, it is free, right? Yep. And and so we would have folks that would be skeptical. Like they'd be like, okay, if it's free, why isn't everybody? So you guys, as far as rapid SOS, you're covering 92% of the population. What about the other 8%? Like it's free. Why aren't people using it? Right. I honestly believe that it is just time and education is that it is almost impossible to reach out and touch every single person that you need to. 
right? And I think that's probably the same here with, with what three words. They've been very successful in other companies, uh, countries. They're just reaching back, coming into the 911 space and they're smart because they found you knowing like that you are one of those public safety technology influencers. And I really think from when I was, you know, basically selling a free product that didn't exist for a year with rapid SOS, people were skeptical. Are you going to come back and charge me later? Are you going to, is this like the light version? And you know, are you going to, you're going to get me hooked and then you're going to come back and charge me. And I really think that, you know, people are skeptical of that. So you're saying that this, what three words is 100% free, right? Yeah. Cool. I mean, that's, uh, you know, and and that was one of the things that before Keely and I decided to pull the trigger on this thing, we we wanted to make absolutely sure in talking with Ashley that that was the case. And she assured us. And uh, I said, and that's when I told her, I said, sign me up. I mean, because really for me, and you and I have talked about this, especially at your time with Rapid. And I know that you reinforced this to Michael Martin and some other folks over <laughs> Rapid as well. You know, we don't, you know, our people don't need more stuff running on their desktop. Right. Right. We, yep. We've we're already task saturated. We've already got a ton of stuff going on. I can't have 15,000 more things. This is different, though, because this much like rapid SOS is a tool. Yes. This is something that maybe, not, you know, not necessarily. Of course, maybe that's not a good analogy because rapid SOS jurisdiction view. We always have it running. Yep. The, the great thing about jurisdiction view is, you know, you, you're getting information on everything. Um, but in this particular case with what three words you know, we may not have to use this 99% of the time. Right. It is It is simply a tool in our toolbox so that if other location determination tools that we're using aren't effective or don't work, this is just another tool in the toolbox. And I, I don't, right. don't want to limit my people. You know, I don't want to dismiss something and say, well, you know, we're not even going to need that the majority of the time. Well, you're right, but you only needed to be right once. One time, right. And, and so so let me mean injured. So let me go back just a little bit. So we're talking, we're assuming that folks listened to the previous podcast. If they haven't listened to the previous podcast and understand what what three words is, can you give like a, a little bit of an overview? And then I'm going to come back to that toolbox comment because I think it's really important. So let's just assume that the folks that are listening have no idea what, what three words does for public safety. Can you give just a little bit of an overview there? So basically what this what this tool does for us, and, and one of the reasons, I think one of the reasons initially why there wasn't a sense of urgency on my part was if somebody caught, you know, we, we know that we know that native location data is available in the phone in, in the form of, I mean, you can pull XY from pretty much any phone. Right. So my original reluctance to look at this, or maybe I won't even call it a reluctance, but my original lack of enthusiasm about jumping in and learning more about it was simply because if I felt like if somebody ran into the situation where they're walking in the woods or they're out on the water in an area that's not easily identifiable, they can call in and just give me the XY. They can read off the right. coordinates. And then the more yeah. I thought about that, I said, I said, I said, number one, how am I, I've got to, first I've got to explain to somebody how to pull native location data or find it on their phone. Yeah. Oh, can you go to Google maps? I don't have Google maps. All right. Well, can you go to Apple maps? I don't have Apple maps. Can you go to the compass? Okay. I don't have the compass. Yeah. So, so I'm like, the first thing we got to do is I, I, I got to explain that to everybody that's calling in. Uh, and then I have to hope that the XY that they're providing to the dispatcher is completely accurate. All the decimals are in the right places, the hyphens and the no hyphens. I mean, everything's perfect. So I said, you know what? They're not dyslexic. Yeah. Well, what, whatever it happens, right? 
this this is one of those situations where what three words really excels because in this particular situation and and I'll, i'll use the first scenario what three words you can either do it by downloading the app first which is a free app on your phone um and so let, let's talk about that and then we'll talk about the way that it's done before so let's assume that that a person after public outreach and and knowledge downloads the app they've just got it on their phone let's assume they're taking a hike out in a wooded area okay and they they have no idea where they are uh, let's assume also at this point that they have cell signal and i can dive a little bit into what happens if there's no cell signal we can talk about that too but let's assume they've got cell signal but they're in a they're in a wooded area they're not sure where they are they've lost their way uh nighttime is coming in there's no way for for them to describe to us i mean we're going to get we're going to get conventional triangulation we may even get we may even get a better return from rapid when when something like that happens or we may not who knows how it's going to work but in this particular situation this person can look at their phone through the app they can give us three distinctive three unique words that identify a three meter location that they're currently standing in our dispatcher takes that information, plugs it into the What Three Words website, and it throws back an exact set of coordinates within a three meter block of where that person is. That is wicked accurate. I mean, and, it, and it's and it's awesome because you know, conventional triangulation. I mean, we already know that uh, we already know about the problems with that, and Rapid corrected a lot of that because it's using native location data. But I'm sure even you would agree there's some situations where maybe even Rapid. Yep. 100%. And so I've had conversations, people in the 9-1 space will reach out to me and be like, hey, what's up with this technology? Because they know that I'm really adamant about location stuff first with my tenure at Rapid SOS. However, um, I know that there are folks that are still on phones that do not have the ability to send location to the Rapid SOS emergency response platform. Yep. And you know, if somebody's on an iOS 11, there are still people that are out there that are on iOS 11. They're like, hell no, I am not updating my phone. This is the person where this particular tool is going to be beneficial. And one of the things that I would go over when I would explain to telecommunicators or directors in their training for the Rapid SOS portal is if you are on jurisdiction view and that information has not automatically populated you need to query the number because that caller might be just outside of your boundary. Yeah. So it didn't get automatically pushed. So now that's the second opportunity for you to get location. Now yep. let's just say it didn't hit the clearinghouse because it's an operating iOS 11. Now your telecommunicators have one more tool where you can say, Hey, I'm going to send you a link because that's how it works. Correct. I'm going to send you this link, click on the link and tell me what those three words are. Yeah. So that that's be, your third option. Yeah, that would be. The, so the other way to do it, because a lot of people say, well, how many people are going to download the what three words app? And I agree that the majority of the time they probably won't. So in that particular scenario, we can actually send a link. We can either um, we're, we're actually using uh, the Rave Smart 911 platform to do texting. So okay. we can send a text message to Rave Smart 911. Uh, down to them and the minute that that link comes up on their screen it specifically identifies where they are so even if they don't have the app downloaded we send them this link the minute that they look at that in a text message so they don't even have to click on a link they just have to read the text to you yep that's really cool yep yeah i i 
as I, and, and again, this is a lot, you and I talked a little bit beforehand, this is a lot of this is very new for us. My understanding is, and we did do some testing on this last week. Uh, I believe what happens is when our dispatcher sends that link over the minute it hits, you know, via their SMS platform, it automatically converts to those three words. So all that person has to do is relay that information to us. And now we know exactly where they are. Yeah. And, and I think, and again, you and I, so I will, I've shared this story many times. I was not happy with what rapid SOS was doing with their fancy Haven app or so they thought. Does, does Michael still let you say the H word or no? He does. He does. Actually, I can say it now without twitching. So that's good. <laughs> um, it has been put to rest, which, it, which is good. But then on the flip side, I'm like, that app actually helped save a few people that I, yeah. that I know of for sure. The other thing is I have become much more open to looking at new technology. And I think and I can appreciate this just to, just as you can from from sitting in the seat is I can appreciate that folks just want it to be there. They they, right. they don't want to have to jump through hoops. They don't want to have to spin around three times and sit down and get the and get the location. I get that. But we don't have that opportunity. It's just right. not it's just not feasible for every single solitary device to give, uh, you know, give that telecommunicator the precise location. So wouldn't you rather have different tools in your toolbox versus going through? I mean, remember when we first started as baby dispatchers, it was like, all right, I need you to go find some mail. Yeah. <laughs> and you happen to have to your neighbor's. Look at the number on the front of the house. Yeah. Right. Right. And now a four-year-old can be like, hold on, let me, let me get my phone and you can text that's, me. You know, that's, that's an interesting thing too, because I, I brought that up after the fact, and that was actually something that came up after the fact when I was, when I was testing with some of my team members on the floor and we were going back and forth. I, I thought about that for a second. I, I'm like, think back to those times when we had to tell people, you know, you're in somebody's house, you don't know where they are, especially think about this relatives over at people's. I mean, I know yeah. we're not supposed to go to our relative's house during COVID, but let's, let's assume we're not in the middle of a pandemic. You know, you're over at your relative's house. How many people know that what their in-laws address is or whatever it happens right, to Right. That's why this is perfect because, and we did testing inside too. And, and this, what three words was just super accurate. Well, of course, because it's using the same technology that, you know, we were using at rapid SOS is, yeah. is the, the location on the phone using all of the location services, which is, which is amazing. The other question I want to ask you is um, what happens if the person can't speak English? What right. do you, do you, I, so let me, let me just clarify before I ask that I know you're in the process of rolling this out. So it's not fully rolled out, but I also know that you've written your policies, right? How are you dealing with, tell us how you're dealing with it. Cause I know the dispatcher is going to be like, but what if, but right. what if, but what if Yeah. this is and a, what if that people are going to ask about, what are you guys going to do about that? Yeah. And I, I think what probably is going to end up happening with that. And, and much like many of the centers across the country that, that hopefully will be listening to this, we use language line as our primary, you know, language translation tool. Awesome. Uh, excuse me. I, I think what's going to end up probably happening is if we ran into a situation like that, uh, certainly in that first scenario that I explained to you, it would probably operate in very much the same way. Once we determine that it's somebody that is not speaking English, uh, we can, you know, we would conference in language line and kind of work with it that way and, and have that translator working to kind of explain that to the, the to the party on the other end. So um, really, when you think about it, 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 it really is just, it's kind of an extension of what we're already doing, which is why I said it's, the other thing that you look at in scenarios like this is how much, how much of, how heavy of a lift is this going to be for my personnel? Is this going to be one right. of those, here's another thing I have to learn. And that's not really the case with this. Very, very easy to use interface. 
the most people are very, very comfortable with internet browsers and how, and how they interact. I mean, the, the whole, the whole thing is just a very, very easy to use scenario that plays out. So that's awesome. That's awesome. So since you've been there, um, you have implemented the rapid SOS portal with jurisdiction view. You are now in the process of implementing what three words, which is the new technology, which is wicked exciting, right? One more tool for them, because as you know, I'm a huge advocate for mental health. And I know that there are three calls in my career that bat ping pong ball around in my head that I know if these technologies were available, um, we would have gotten to those folks sooner and the outcome right. would have been different. Like I'm 100% convinced. So I know that these, by you implementing these tools, it sounds like your folks are pretty receptive, but I also know that you just released an announcement for another new piece of technology that you're you're putting in. And from what I understand, there isn't anybody in this area that's doing that yet. Want to share that information? <laughs> so, you know, yeah, we're, we're the details. Uh, we want we yeah. want the good details. We're we're pretty stoked. Um, I'm pretty stoked. We're uh, on Monday, we announced uh, via press release that we're going to be the first in the northeastern part of the country and certainly the first in New Jersey to uh, implement Motorola's citizen input solution through Command Central. And if you're not familiar with what citizen input is, uh, this is this is the big game changer for our industry, right? This is what everybody's been talking about. This now gives uh, callers uh, to Mountain Valley the ability to send uh, still images, streaming media and video uh, to us from an incident scene. And uh, for those that, that know me well, and, and you and I have certainly talked about my research, uh, you also know that this was this topic was the crux of my uh, graduate level research with Naval Postgraduate School. So this this topic is very near and dear to me. And I, I you know, we could we could probably talk about this for a long time, but well, we'll we will definitely once you have it implemented, you will be coming back on to talk to us about it. So just want to find out what's going on. What is this thing? Yeah, it's it's super exciting. I think the thing that was, uh, you know, and again, I, I would love to come back on your on your podcast and talk a little bit more about this when we when we've been able to do some more things with it. But this will be something that more than likely we'll be using on a much more frequent basis. But the big key here for me, and one of the things that I've always talked, you know, when, when people ask me about my research and, you know, should they do this or should they not? Uh, and there's some very progressive people across the country that are that are doing, and, and I'm not going to mention names. You, you folks know who you are, and I, I don't want to leave any of you out and make any of you feel bad, but you, you're all doing a tremendous job with incident-related imagery in your centers and bringing it in, figuring, figuring out ways to ingest that information and process it. Properly. The, Pro right. Properly is the key word, right? That is the key word. And I think the thing that was most intriguing to me about citizen input is that this allows our dispatchers, our 911 professionals, to create the stream, to create that, that thread. We, we cannot receive, through this medium, we cannot receive unsolicited video unsolicited nice. imagery. So our people have 100% control of that. And I know, That's awesome. trust me, I know that there's, that, you know, we could what if this all day long, but we're not going to do that today. Nope, not today. Give me give me an opportunity, you know, those in the community that are looking at this, I, I'm going to I'm going to test this to the hill, you know, I am, we're working very closely with our personnel on the floor to make sure that the information that's coming across is properly received. We're making sure our people are well care well cared for in the process and have the support they need if something you know uh, obligatory or, or nasty is seen. I, I've I've considered all those things, but the other big consideration here is that we we as a public safety entity, 
as as really the 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 hub of public safety. And I don't care what center or ECC you're in across the country. You're the hub of public safety. We have a responsibility responsibility from a technology standpoint to start looking in and to start doing a deeper dive into some of these technologies. And if we continue to dismiss them, if we continue to say, I'm gonna wait till the next guy does it or the next gal does it, we're not gonna make any progress. So this is really what I felt was an appropriate way for us to jump in and start kind of dabbling with this a little bit, kind of test it out a little bit and kind of see where it goes. And uh, and that's I think that's the part that's most exciting for me. And I am working extremely close with our supervisors, with our frontline dispatchers. I, I want to I'm going to be I'm going to be taking an input from them all the time. And I, I'm going to kind of go back to my maybe my abstract and my executive summary for my thesis to make sure that I'm remembering all the things that I identified that were major points of concern with rolling out this technology. We're, and, we're very excited. And I think I I awesome. Uh, like really, really, truly awesome. And I think there are a couple of things that you said there that I want to point out. And one of them was if, if you just sit there and you, you, you don't get involved and advocate for this now, um, you're going to be on the outside looking in. Right. And then, then you're, then it's going to almost be more overwhelming and you're going to stay away from it, stay away from it. But think about what you're doing right now, Jeremy, the same thing I did with rapid SOS, the same thing you're going to do with this is you're going to be the boots on the ground that is using this technology that is truly going to have an impact on how this thing rolls out. They're going to take your feedback. They're going to, you know, hear your, your pain points and they're, they're wherever this is awesome. But the other piece I want to point out is you said you want to care for your folks. That is really important. You also have recently started a QA program that was not there when you got there, or maybe it was the shell of it was there, but can you just touch base on the importance of that QA piece going forward, especially with all these new technologies? Like, Please, please share what you're doing there. I think that's super important too. Yeah. So the, you know, when I, when I arrived in April, uh, you know, again, you're trying to figure out kind of foundationally speaking, what needs to be addressed and uh, looking at DORs and, and weekending reports and those kind of things and trying to determine what's going on. And it, it became readily apparent to me that this was an area that we really were challenged in as an organization, essentially because we didn't really have anything going on that way. So one of the first uh, orders of business for me when I was working with my executive board um, as an executive director, I report to an executive board of nine, extremely supportive, very understanding, uh, made up of of administrators, appointed personnel and and public safety folks. I explained to all of them, I said, we we have an obligation, not only to our public safety partners, but certainly certainly to the community that we serve uh, to make sure that we're doing things right as often as we can. And we know that mistakes are going to be made, but the only way to catch those mistakes or those errors and learn from them is to, is to have an effective quality assurance, quality improvement program. So I had proposed initially, uh, we need to appoint a training QA coordinator because we did not have one. Uh, in, in fact, when Keeley uh, took over as interim director, it was expressed to her at that point, or I, I think, and, and Keeley, if you're listening to this and I'm misstating it, I'm, I'm sure you'll correct me later. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I think when she came in, one of the things that they all also asked Keeley to do was kind of oversee training. But, but for her as a deputy director, her plate is already extremely full. Yeah. Uh, so for her to take on the training, I mean, it's, it, it's kind of a one or the other. And I said, we can't, I, I can't have Keeley... I, she's not going to be able to be effective in her role as deputy if, if I ever doing training as well. So we really need to have this. So fortunately, 
we're, we're extremely fortunate to have one of our supervisors, Sarah, who was just astronomically wonderful as a supervisor uh, on the floor. Uh, she ended up becoming our training QA coordinator. And I'll tell you what, she has hit the ground running. Every day I, I look out at her desk and she's got all this stuff. And I don't even like asking her questions because I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to mess with. And you it. shouldn't, because that would be a micromanaging boss. You let her present it well, to you, but. Questions are okay. As long as I'm not talking. <laughs> but the one thing that, that both Keely and I told Sarah when, when she took the role was this is your, this is your program to run. Yeah. And the great thing about a ground floor opportunity like this for her is that she doesn't have to worry about other things going on or having to deviate from existing practices. She's got a blank slate. She's got a she's got a, a blank canvas to work from. I love and, that. And you know what else I love? I love that it's the training QA because yeah. she knows what they're being trained, right? Yeah. And yeah. so she knows what to be looking for on the QA piece. And I think QA, right. uh, I think a, a well done and executed QA program is really important. But I also know if it's not well done, it can do a lot of damage. And I will assure you that that was a lesson that I learned towards the end of my time. Um, I was really adamant about my folks doing the job well, and they did. Like it, it took us a while when we implemented our EMD program. I was like, you know, the drill sergeant when it came to making sure that this was done right. But I think as we talked about earlier, I became a different person and I was starting to kind of nitpick on every little thing. And it was like, well, I wouldn't have done it that way. So I'm going to call you out on that. And I, you know, this should have been done this way. And, and at the end of the day, when I look back, I'm like, that wasn't fair to them because me not me nitpicking and being more subjective than objective, put them in a place of fear doing their job. And nobody should ever do that for somebody taking 911 calls. And, and it wasn't my intention. I've apologized profusely, you know, to the folks that have been following me, they've heard me say this before, but I also know that we learn from that, right? So folks hearing this and us having this conversation, that may just change the behavior of one training QA person. Right. And, and, and you mentioned, you know, you and I joked about the micromanagement piece. I mean, I, I've, I've said on many occasions, if you've got to be micromanaging your personnel, uh, you've either got the wrong person in the role or you're just too much of a control freak and, and you can't let go. And I, I, when absolutely when you get to this level, because, you know, and right now, I mean, you know, we've talked about a few things that we're working on right now, but right now we've got two or three other major projects that are working on that, that we're, you know, that we're having to contend with. If I or Keely, you know, we're having to sit there and keep our thumbs on other people the whole time. I mean, that, that would just be ridiculous. So right. you need to trust your people. You need to put in the right people for the position, uh, give them the tools and the support that they need to, to do the job effectively. Obviously work with them to make sure that, you know, you're doing some kind of a review process. People like to know where they stand. Yep. Uh, you know, people don't like to make assumptions about what the folks that they report to are thinking. And and I try to go out of my way, both with my deputy and with uh, my training coordinator to, to just say thanks. And and really, both of them, I can tell you right now, I, I would not, I could not, and I know you hear this a lot from other people in the space, but I could not do this job without the two of them. There's no way. Right. Uh, and and I think what I think what's important there, too, is, you know, first of all, we know that it's important. To, to thank our folks. It's like, well, yeah. but they're doing their job. No, you need to thank them for right. doing that job. That That's appropriate. But the other thing that you touched on was making sure that you have this open line of communication. Yeah. I've heard from folks that have been in challenging situations where they were given an opportunity for a role and 
they were not meeting the expectations of that manager, but yet that manager never verbalized that to this person. And all it did was create this negative animosity environment. And before long, the person that was in the role was, had the role yanked away from them. And that does not send a good message, right? You can can almost tell that too, because that tension is palpable. I mean, you can, you can walk onto a floor, uh, you know, or I don't even want to make it sound like it's just a 911 thing, but you can, you can be in a role somewhere with, with some kind of an organization and depending on who's working that particular day, you can you can cut the tension with a knife. Yeah. I mean, you can feel it. So, again, I think when you get to this point, you have to learn from what's happened to you in the past. You know, take take the negative stuff, you know, don't you know, try not to ignore it, because I think it's important to learn from the things that didn't go as well. But absolutely apply the lessons learned and what you're doing going forward so that you can be a better, more effective uh, leader and and really be a support network for your people. And that's really what I'm trying to do uh, wholeheartedly. And I don't, you know, if, if this is where I end up and this is great. And I, I love, I love this spot here in New Jersey and Mountain Valley. I think it's great. Uh, but we also know that there's, there's always things going on. I, I would be that way anywhere I was, uh, yep. anywhere I landed, I'm, I'm going to be that kind of a leader because that's what I want. That's what right. I would want for myself. That's what I want for my folks. I just, I want to, I want them to be that one that somewhere down the line, they're like, Hey, you know what? I've had a lot of bad bosses, blah, blah, blah. But there's this one guy that was just truly supportive. And that's, that's what I want to be for my folks. If, yep. if I can do that. Yep. And I had that with my, my boss or my leader at, at rapid SOS, Michelle, she was, she was that person. And I, I put out a post the other day, she sent me this adorable coffee cup that said boss lady. What boss sends their employee that just left the company something like that, right? So that was that was really good. That speaks volumes to her leadership, right? Um, first of all. And then second of all, I, I made this statement. She will always be the leader that people do not want to leave, right? So yep. we, we talk about how poor leadership causes people to leave. And like 80, what is it, 80% of people leave the yep. management people, not the yep. actual job. So- yep. What an awesome place to wrap up, Jeremy. We've talked about so many amazing things. I love our conversations. It's I not do, a three-hour ride. <laughs> I, do have, I do have to share one more thing with you. Um, oh, please do. Uh, I just wanted to say that Keely, my deputy, and, and Sarah, my training coordinator, I, I actually posted this on social media. My, if my wife were down here now, she would also argue that I post way too much stuff. But I'm, I'm not changing. It's just the way I am. <laughs> But they got me this cool coffee mug. And I know people on the podcast can't see this. So I'm just going to read it to you. The coffee mug from my deputy, my training coordinator says, you are the luckiest boss in the world. We would love to have us as a team. That is awesome. It's, it's, my post last night was it's love is knowing that your senior leadership team members have a sense of humor. I, yep. I love this. I was actually drinking my first cup of coffee this morning out of it. And, uh, but it's, I, I like when you can have that kind of, that kind of a relationship with your folks um, where, where, when, when it's really hitting the fan, you know, everybody does what they need to do, but, but yep. 99% of the time when things are kind of idling, you can have that kind of relationship. I, th- I think that's good. And I think it makes things a lot easier when it comes to operating a center. It really does. I, re- I remember, you know, saying to, 
to one of the folks that I was having a challenging time with, you know, how about we just stop this? Like it takes more energy to have a difficult relationship than it does to just have a good relationship and, you know, making sure that the right people are in the right place is really important. A lot of the new training that I'll be delivering to the nine one space, which it isn't really out there is disc assessment and personality um, assessments and teaching folks how to deal, deal with people that just have different personalities. Right. I found out through this process of education and training that I am 100% a people driven person for me, it's people first always where for others, it is task and results. So if you want task and results, I'm not going to be the right person to fill that role. And I'm going to come up short for you every single time. Even though I'm going to try to do it and I'm going to give it my best because I want to please you as a people person, um, I just might not be successful in that role. Just as you wouldn't put a task and results person in a role that is going to be dealing with and handling people. So taking that information and and really making it a part of your center is really cool. And I'm so excited to hear all of the awesome things that that you're doing in your center. You know, I'm a huge fan of yours and I just can't see, I can't wait to see what, what comes next and have you on again, for sure. I was going to say likewise. I mean, I, I know you have a huge fan base, but I'm one of your biggest fans. And uh, I, I love, I love seeing people that are passionate about the industry and the profession doing great things. And, and especially uh, the fact that rapid is still supporting your efforts and, and, and doing these things shows uh, an absolute level of interest on their part to kind of keep things going. And they know that the message that you're conveying is mission critical. So kudos to you. Thank I'm, you glad, I, I'm glad I'm glad I could be one of your, I'm not sure where you are numbers wise right now. I eight, think you're eight. You're number eight. With Fletch or maybe episode nine with me. <laughs> no, I would love to come back on again. And uh, I look forward to your other podcast and I wish you nothing but the best. I'm, I know that's what everybody wishes you. So thank you, my friend. I will uh, I will be releasing this in the very near future. So a lot of exciting things coming and and uh, yeah. So and when, and when COVID's over with, I know that you're going to come down to Mountain Valley and come see us. So oh, I am because you're going to have me do some training with your folks. <laughs> and there it is, folks. <laughs> <laughs> and there it is. Thank you for listening. Make sure you join us next time for another episode of entertaining, educational, and empowering interviews with public safety difference makers. Please like and follow me on social media at On Scene First with Tracy Eldridge so you too can keep up with my shenanigans. Thank you, heroes. From the bottom of my blessed heart, stay safe, stay strong, and stay here. We need you. For more information on Rapid SOS, our premier sponsor, and how you can get connected to the world's first emergency response data platform and better prepare and protect your family and community, visit rapidsos.com today.